Hey there, I'm the Kentucky Guy, and thank you so much for listening to the Red Pill Current News Podcast. Here at the Red Pill Current News Podcast, we strive on bringing you news that you won't find in the fake media every day. We also strive to bring you the truth, not only on politics, but the world news all around, including pop culture and so forth. As for myself, I worked in the private sector for around 25 years in the call center management and health insurance industry. Uh, Due to unforeseen circumstances and health issues, I was forced into early retirement last year. Now, a couple years ago, I noticed that something just wasn't sitting right with the way our country was being ran or being politicized as. So I started doing research, a lot of research. And that's why I'm able to now host this podcast. I've been on other shows as well, discussing my views. I'm also on social media. I'm on The Clapper, Rizzle, TikTok, Truth Social, Facebook, and many more. You can find me at the KY Guy, Kentucky Guy, KY Guy, or KY Guy 80. Different ones. Somebody had my name on other platforms, of course. <laughs> All right. So, yes, and I uh, do want to let you know that we do drop a new episode here every every Wednesday and Saturday. So be sure to uh, hit that follow or subscribe button no matter where you're listening to. We are on all podcast platforms. All right. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. And uh, again, God bless and God bless America. and welcome to the special report current news uh welcome to the red pill current news podcast i'm your host the kentucky guy and this is special report devolution part eight yes 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 we are back with part eight thank you thank you uh just a couple things i do want to go over before we get into devolution part eight i know that some of you have been wondering what happened and uh why I haven't done this. Well, we had a special guest on uh, yesterday, and uh, very, very appreciative of him coming on, and that was Jay Hellquest. Uh, and I seen some of your comments and some of your uh, some of your emails, and I'm going to address those here in just a moment. Uh, first of all, though, if you're new here, be sure to hit that subscribe and follow button. Uh, no matter which platform you're listening to, we do drop new episodes here every. A Wednesday and Saturday, sometimes we do drop like these special reports just about every day or every other day. Uh, I haven't, the reason why I haven't dropped one in a couple of days is because uh, I wanted to prepare for uh, Mr. Hellquest's interview and plus uh, so much going on in this crazy world and uh, with the uh, the wrestling uh, podcast that I also host, uh, which is actually starting to blow up uh, against the mat wrestling podcast uh for you wrestling fans out there oh yeah we do drop new episodes there every uh monday and friday tomorrow tomorrow be sure to tune in 
because tomorrow's episode, I have a, a special guest. He is a former professional wrestler and the host of Buzzing with Marlowe uh, podcast, Mr. Warren Marlowe. So, yeah, so that's going to be awesome. And that will be on Against the Match uh, Wrestling Podcast. Also, Saturday, uh, for our normal uh, episode here on the Red Pill Current News Podcast, we will have a special guest. Uh, she is uh, she's a Christian. Uh, she is a Republican, and uh, she has uh, uh, really uh, she has her own show. And uh, I'm going to find out more about that. But yeah, Mrs. Cunningham will be with us, and uh, Latoya Cunningham, and uh, I think that's going to be something really, really special. So before I get into current news, before we get it like we always do, because there's so much news going on, I ha- I'd like to go over the news. I want to address yesterday's episode. Okay, so. If you're looking for a podcast that is not open dialogue, that is not willing to listen to other people, no matter if they have the same views I do or not, uh, you're listening to the wrong show, okay? First of all, I will never invite a guest to my podcast. As long as I'm running this podcast, I'll never invite a guest to smash them, to slam them, to do anything negative. This is an open dialogue. This is the only way we learn, okay? I, I know some of you um, disagree uh, with Mr. Hellquest's point of view on a lot of things, and I can appreciate that. Uh, one thing I can tell you about the conversation we had, I thought it was very constructive, and um, but the result was I didn't change his point of view, and he didn't change mine. It was just a conversation. I am not going to invite a guest on here and slam them uh, over their beliefs. Here's the thing. Here, here's how I look at having guests on here with different point of views. During this devolution, right, I've always said that I'm not pushing this belief on anybody, and I'm not. What I'm doing is I'm giving you a blueprint on why I believe the way I believe. It was the same thing with yesterday's episode, guys. Uh, I wanted to find out. What makes, uh, you know, uh, Jay, for instance, what makes him believe the way he believes things, right? And so listening is a key part of that. So once again, this will never be a, a podcast where you're going to hear argument and yelling. Actually, in the podcast document that I send to every single guest before they get on here, there's two rules, no profanity and if we disagree, we disagree civilly. So me, I would be a hypocrite for sending out that document and then somebody getting on here saying something I don't like. And yeah, of course, he had opinions that I don't agree with and I didn't care much for. But you know what? I had the same. I gave him my opinions, and I know he didn't like those either. But we had a civil conversation, and that's what our world needs right now. If we could in our government, in our administration, if we could have more people sitting down and having civil conversations and finding out why this person, this congressman, this senator, what have you, believes this way so strongly, then maybe we could get somewhere. So, yeah, so I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to put that out there. This is an open dialogue 
uh, because I'll have other guests. I promise you. Uh, I don't. I, I offer guests to come here if they're far left, far right, right down the middle. Uh, if I just had people on here all the time that agreed uh, with my beliefs, uh, you'd never you'd never hear the other side of the story. It'd be like the the uh, unpartisan uh, January sixth committee. So I just wanted to put that out there. If you're looking for, and I know that other podcasts do this. If you're looking for me to invite guests on here and to just absolutely slam them over their beliefs, you're listening to the wrong show, okay? I'm just throwing that out there. You're listening to the wrong show. All right, so anyways, and once again, uh, Jay Hellquist, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate uh, your input on yesterday's episode. All right, so let's get into the current news. China. China, China, China. China warns Biden today, playing with fire, and you're going to get burnt over Taiwan. So the U.S. President, Joe Biden, the fake president as I call him, and the Chinese President, Jinping, held a fifth call as leaders on Thursdays, and the uh, CCP warned against playing with fire over Taiwan as concerns mount over possible visit to Chinese-claimed island by the U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, The Chinese uh, state media said that uh, Jinping told Biden that the United States should abide by the One China Principle and stressed that China uh, firmly opposes uh, Taiwanese independence and interference of external forces. Uh, Beijing has issued... Escalating warnings about repercussions should Pelosi, a Democrat like Biden, visit visit Taiwan, a move that would be a dramatic, though not unprecedented, show of U.S. support for the island, which says it is facing increasing Chinese military and ep- economic threats. Uh, quote, those who play with fire will only get burnt. Uh, the Chinese state media quoted uh, Jinping as telling Biden, "We hope the U.S. side can 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 see this clearly." The White House actually said that the call lasted over two hours. U.S. officials had said it would have a broad agenda, including discussions of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which uh, China has yet to condemn. Uh, at its core, though, U.S. officials said. They, they saw the exchange as another chance to uh, mango competi- manage competition between the world's two largest economies, whose ties have been increasingly clouded by tensions over uh, democratically governed Taiwan, which Jinping has vowed to reunite with the mainland by force if necessary. Washington does not have an official relations with Taiwan, and follows a one-China policy that recognizes Beijing, not Telepi, diplomatically. But it is obligated by U.S. law to provide the island with the means to defend itself, and pressure has been mounting in Congress for a more explicit support. So, here's my question on this. Why does China care so much about Pelosi going to Taiwan. 
Now, we know that Pelosi is a criminal. We, we do. We know that she has undermined the American people every chance she's ever had. And we know that she is a part of the elite. We know that, by the way, the new chip uh, bill got passed today uh, right after her and her uh, husband invested $5 million uh, into a company that I assure you will be will be a part of the making of these chips, microchips, and uh, she will benefit once again from insider knowledge, okay? So we know that she is not the greatest person in the world, right? We know this. But why are is the Chinese government so concerned with her going to Taiwan? What is she going to do there? What 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 is she going to go try to cover up? So there's a word that I want you guys to look up the definition of. And that is. And that word is the Kanzarian uh, Mafia. And that's K-H-A-Z-A-R-I-A-N Mafia. Now, of course, once again. This is going to be called, when you go to look this up, especially uh, if you look this up uh, through Google, uh, this is going to be called a conspiracy theory, and that's fine. As you guys know, uh, I do not uh, do conspiracy theories. I do research, cold hard facts. So, look that word up. Find out what you can, because we are going to have an episode just talking about this, the Kazarian Mafia, how it relates to why China does not want Pelosi in Taiwan, how it even relates to the European involvement and and our involvement, the United States involvement, into the current Ukrainian war. And just, if you get a chance, just look it up once again. This is, you know, you guys need to do your own research. I'm just laying some stuff out here that uh, I think may be important. And also, when I do do the episode on this, uh, I don't want anybody to be lost. By the way, on uh, as I mentioned, this is uh, the special report on Devolution Part 8. If you have not uh, listened to any of the special reports, my recommendation is, before I get started, is to listen uh, to 1 through 7 first, or you just may be lost. Uh, one last thing I did want to note, uh, Trump did inform CNN, and it's about time. I don't know what took so long, uh, but Trump did inform CNN today, and today is Thursday, uh, July 28th, uh, 2022. He did inform CNN that he will be suing them for defamation of character. So this is interesting to me. And what's interesting to me on this is the timing. Uh, the, the timing on this, I mean, we're almost out of July. 
man, August is always hot, but August is really going to be hot this year. There is so much stuff coming out and so many things that uh, are kind of unbelievable. You know, uh, I've always said, and you'll hear me say this more and more in this special report, that 80% of the things that are happening behind the scenes will remain behind the scenes. We're only going to be told 20% of it all. But there is so much that's being uh, being laid out. I mean, I don't know if you guys caught the uh, the uh, interview with uh, Matt Gates today um, or the other senator, uh, Grislow, uh, on the uh, FBI whistleblowers. I mean, that's pretty shocking. It's it's not just the FBI. It's it's the Department of Justice uh, who use their roles um, to cover up election fraud, to cover up the Hunter Biden laptop. I mean, this is all right there for us to see. It's not hidden in any way whatsoever. So, you know, you can tell me all you want to that the 2020 election was uh, straight up, but, man, uh, what are you going to do when it all comes out? And it's leaking. And, you know, actually it makes sense why it's leaking out little by little, little by little, because what's that doing? That's causing pain to the people on the wrong side of the stick. That's causing pain to the ones that actually were involved in this. You know, how do you take a a Band-Aid off? You rip it all off at once. It'll hurt for a second and go away. But if you keep peeling it little by little, little by little, yeah, that's a lot of pain, folks. And I do believe uh, that this is a destruction by design. But enough of that. Let's get into Devolution Part 8. And we left off. I want to make it clear. So let's let's just uh, jump into... Part 8 of the Special Report of Devolution. Uh, So why understanding the organizational structure of the COCOMS, right? Uh, The combatant commanders, why it's important, okay? So I believe the combatant commanders play an integral role in devolution. Uh, These are the commanders of our armed forces. The very people, Secretary of Defense Chris Miller would have briefed if plans of devolution were to be implemented. I believe the specifics of the devolution plan were carried out by Ezra Kohn Watnick and the Special Operations Forces that I spoke about in previous episodes, which have been tasked with carrying out the Mission Essential Functions, MEFS, Okay, I know it's a lot of acronyms, but we're going to get there. I'll address the MEFS in greater detail uh, here a little bit later. But for now, uh, I want to focus on a very specific uh, attribute of this command structure. The only people who would need to know that devolution had been implemented would be the combat commanders. And it would only be when the operation moves into the next phase the reveal that these commanders would provide orders down 
to their individual chains of command as needed. So think of it like this. Think of it as running a business, okay? Chris Miller is the CEO, and the combat commanders would be the heads of their respective departments. If the business needed to implement major changes, the CEO wouldn't broadcast their plans immediately to every employee from every department, would they? No. Instead, the CEO would privately inform the heads of each department. Once everything was in place for the smoothest transition possible, the heads of each department would uh, disseminate information as needed to those within their departments required to implement the change. In our scenario, the major change would be the reveal that Trump implemented devolution because the election was stolen via foreign interference. Just think about it. Like I've said all through this, keep an open mind. Just think about, just for a moment, if nobody outside of the combat commanders would need to know, then this means any of the woke garbage that is appearing to come from our military really doesn't matter. Outside of the combatant commanders, no one knows devolution is happening, and it will remain that way until the operation reaches the reveal phase. If that sounds difficult to swallow, I understand. Please listen to this next paragraph. Each COCOM commander answers directly to the Secretary of Defense. Each commander can come from any branch of service, and all commanders are composed of two or more service branches. The mission set forth for each commander by the UC are broad-scoped, broad-reaching, and of continuing duration. Each commander exists as the ultimate in the field, as in not the White House and not the Pentagon, provider of command and control for all the units from all service branches anywhere on the planet or above it during peace, war, and uh, contingency operations. Now, that's a direct article from the National Defense. So, this this article, this paragraph that I just read, it's essential to understand how devolution would be possible, even though Biden assumed office as the president and filled out his staff in the Pentagon and the DoD with his own people. Each seal, each uh, COCOM commander, is the ultimate provider of command for all of our armed forces in the field, as in not the White House and not the Pentagon, during peace, war, and contingency operations. Okay, so from that same website, right, this is on the department, do your own research, uh, Pier 10, USC 101, and FAR 2101, contingency operations means a military operation that is designated by the Secretary of Defense as an operation in which members of the armed forces are or may become involved in military actions, operations, or hostiles against an enemy of the United States or against 
an opposing military force or results in a call or order or retaliation on active duty of members of the uniformed services under Section 688 uh, or any other provision of law during a war or during a national emergency declared by the President or Congress. President or Congress, not President and Congress. So if the Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller, was provided proof that a foreign adversary not only interfered with our election, but to such an extent that the outcome of the election had been altered, he would have been obligated to share that proof with each of the COCOM commanders. They would have recognized that the incoming Biden administration was not legitimate and the contingency plan devolution would have been implemented. So we still have a major obstacle to address regarding the devolution theory, right? I've been saying all along that devolution is based on the pre, uh, prequisition uh, that Trump and the military caught the CCP interfering in the United States election. If that didn't happen, it would be nearly impossible to summarize that devolution is currently active. I won't be able to show you a definite a definitive proof that our military has evidence of foreign interference in our election. But what I can do is provide you with the circumstantial evidence showing the military was prepared to catch any foreign uh, adversary interfering in our election. One of the previously discussed combatant commanders plays a major role in this. So throughout the devolution uh, this special report, I've shown you ways that Trump was preparing the battlefield, if you will, in anticipation of a foreign, uh, in anticipation of a foreign election interference by using executive powers. He issued numerous executive orders that are in play. But what was the military doing to prepare the battlefield? So I'm going to do my best to go over this and here in, in chronological order and kind of give you my way of thinking and the blueprint of this, okay? So on May 8, 2018, the military took key initiative at defending our United States elections by elevating uh, Cybercom to combatant command, okay? Cybercom was actually established in 2009. The U.S. Cyber Command, which has been a sub-unified sub commander under U.S. Strategic Command was established in 2009 in response to the rapidly evolving threats uh, with adversaries, adversaries seeking to exploit the cyber domain to attack the United States and its allies. Uh, the elevation of the uh, command rises, raises the structure of the command to a peer level and with unified combatant command commanders, allowing the Cybercom commander to report directly to the Secretary of Defense. Kenneth P. Rapino, I'm sure I butchered that last name, the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Homeland Security, or for Homeland Defense and Global Security, 
uh, told reporters at the Pentagon last year that, quote, the cyber domain will define the next century of warfare at a Pentagon news conference. Uh, Army Lieutenant Gene, uh, General Paul M. Nicholson, <laughs> most recently commander of Army Cyber Command, will receive his fourth star as he succeeds retiring Na- uh, Navy uh, Admiral Michael S. Rogers as Cyber Commander, Cybercom Commander. So the elevation of Cyber Command to uh, uh, COCOM allows Cyber Command to report directly to the Secretary of Defense. Keep that in mind that the Cyber Command uh, is General Nikoskon, and he is also the head of the NSA. Very important to, to remember that. In June 18, 2018, President Trump directed the DOD to immediately begin the process to establish Space Force as the sixth branch of the armed forces. I point this out because I believe that Space Force played a complementary role in all of this. And I'll, I'll talk more about that here in a little bit. Uh, July 23, 2018, General Paul, uh, the head of the National Security Agency and uh, U.S. Cyber Command, confirmed that he was set up that he has set up a task force to counter Russian cyber threats to the United States. So speaking at a conference in Aspen, uh, Colorado, uh, the general, he didn't elaborate on the activities or uh, composition of the so-called Russia small group, but he did allude to the challenges of responding uh, proportionally to foreign cyber operations that do not amount to acts of war. U.S. intelligence agencies concluded in the report in January 2017 uh, that hackers linked with the Russian government meddled in the 2016 U.S. presidential election by breaching multiple political organizations. Quote, we, what, we've, what we've seen our adversaries do over a period of years is the fact that they operate below the threshold level of war, he said. They steal uh, in, intelligent property. They steal uh, personally identifiable information or information on personnel. They cause discord within our social ranks or attempt to undermine our elections. The general also said a cyber attack from another government on U.S. critical infrastructure would cross the threshold into war, and we would certainly respond, end quote. The U.S. government's definition of critical infrastructure expanded in January of 2017 when the Department of Homeland Security put election systems in that category. So this is so important for so many reasons. It points out that the general, Paul, uh, is ahead of both the NSA and the U.S. Cyber Command, right? And this is going to come up later again and again. Uh, it discusses Russia meddling in the 2016 U.S. presidential election by breaching multiple political organizations, although at that time it was considered as operating under the threshold level of war because during the 26th election, election systems 
were not yet in the category of critical infrastructure. He also said that a cyber attack from another government on the U.S. Uh, critical infrastructure would cross the threshold into war, and we would certainly respond. So remember, 2017, they classified election systems as critical infrastructure. It's a bombshell, right? I mean, so he's he's essentially saying that since the election systems are now classified as a critical infrastructure, a cyber attack on election systems moving forward would cross the threshold into war. Uh, reminder that the entire devolution theory is based on the United States being at war, allowing Trump to exercise special war powers. He also told the uh, Aspen audience that foreign hackers will keep trying to breach computer networks uh, underpinning U.S. infrastructure. Quote, we should anticipate that our adversaries will continue to penetrate and try to penetrate such things as our critical infrastructure, the general said. So the general tells us in July of 2018 that they anticipate our adversaries will try to penetrate such things as our critical infrastructure, right? They're very, very clearly preparing for a foreign interference in our election. August 16th of 2018, the Wall Street Journal published an article titled Trump Seeking to Relax Rules on U.S. Cyber Attacks Reverses Obama's uh, Directive. The article is behind a paywall. Um, however, I can... Uh, I've got some highlights here for it. So the changes, uh, and this is from the article was described as an offensive step forward by the administration official brief on the decision. One intended to help support military operations uh, deter foreign election influence. Uh, also, uh, it states that it handicaps or prevents important operations by involving too many federal agencies in a potential attack. You see what I mean? Mr. Trump's decision will grant the military new authority, which may allow them to have a domestic mission. So by removing some of the obstacles in the uh, PPD-20, Trump allowed the military to respond directly to election interference uh, without having to cut through the red tape. Not only... Did he elevate Cybercom to a uh, CO COCOM to protect election infrastructure and eliminate the middleman in the military's chain of command itself? But in the PPD-20, he also uh, untied their hands by eliminating the unnecessary layers of federal agencies required to approve any plan of action. All right, let's take a break for today's sponsor, Anchor. If you're thinking about starting a podcast or already have a podcast, Anchor, you can do everything in one place. We'll be right back, folks. Hey, guys, have you heard about Anchor by Spotify? It's the best and easiest way I've found to start a new podcast. Everything is right there. At Anchor, I can not only 
record my podcast, I can add music, I can add sounds, and much more. Also, I can trim and crop my podcast as well, all in one place, right there on my iPhone or computer. On Anchor, as a host, you can distribute your podcast on platforms like Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Everything is in one place. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. Best part of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app today, or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, and welcome back. And I know this is a lot of information. I know it is, uh, but uh, it, it all relates. If I didn't think it was important, trust me, I would not be taking the time to uh, go over this. So let's jump right back into it. September 10th, 2018, the Council on Foreign Relations posted an article discussing Trump's changes to the PP-20 with some interesting comments. This is from this was taken from the Wall Street Journal. They recently reported that Donald J. Trump administration removed some of the restrictions governing the approval process for offensive cyber attacks conduct against US adversaries under presidential policy directive 20 PPD uh, with the elevation of US cyber command to a uh, unified combatant command in May 2018, on par with the Pentagon's other combatant commands. The logic behind the reported revisions was that the commander of Cyber Command should have the authority uh, to take action uh, uh, comparable to the other combatant commanders. Uh, For critics of the reported PP-20 revisions, the risk that uh, devolving authority to the combat commander will generate potential escalatory pressure looms large. They fear a more proactive, offensively posture U.S. Cyber Command may prompt U.S. adversaries to respond in turn by ratcheting up their own cyber operations against the United States. This could lead to uh, a spiral of increasingly costly cyber operations in a context where the United States is highly vulnerable. And that was the article from, from the Post. Um, so let's let's take another look. April 29th, 2019. It was reported that the uh, Affirmation Task Force named the Russian Small Group would become permanent. July 23rd, 2019. These dates are important. General uh, General Paul announced that the NSA would would was creating a cybersecurity uh, 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 dictatorate to better protect the country against cyber threats from foreign adversaries. All right, Annie Annie Newberg will be the intelligence agency's first director for cybersecurity. The, uh, the directorate is slated, is slated to be operational October 1st of this year, 
an NSA spokesman told uh, CyberScoop. The move is intended to allow the NSA, which is a part of the Department of Defense, to better provide information gleaned from signals, intelligence to agencies and private sector in order to protect national critical infrastructure. The spokesman said, there's that word again. It's a major organization that unifies our foreign intelligence and our cyber defense mission. The Russia Small Group is known internally as the Election Security Group. It is tracking activity involving China, Iran, North Korea, and terrorist groups. Huh, China. So in September 7, 2019, the NSA prepares to defend 2020 elections, drawing lessons from 2018. Uh, and an article released by the NSA officials uh, said, if there is an advisory or advisories, adversaries, boy, that's written small, that are attempting to either influence or interfere in our elections, we're going to take them on, General Paul said, who leads both NSA and the U.S. Cyber Command. December 20th, 2019, the United States Space Force is officially the sixth branch of the United States Armed Forces. February 10th, 2020, the Department of Defense published an article titled DOD as an enduring role in election defense. And let me give you a quote from that article. We begin the ability for us to defend the presidential elections, not today, not six months from now. We began it the day after the midterm elections. So the Defense Department plays an important role in the whole-of-government partnership spearheaded by the NSA and Cybercom's election security group, formed in the wake of successions of the Russia small group during the 2018 midterms. The nation expect us, expects us to do something about it. The National Security Agency Secretary said, the biggest success out of 2018 wasn't the 2018 midterms, Hartman said. The biggest success was we put in place both organizationally and from a business practice standpoint a focus on enduring missions to protect the democratic process. So the election security group's primary objectives are to generate insights on foreign adversaries that lead to uh, improved cyber defenses and to oppose costs on countries that seek to interfere. Uh, it directly supports partners such as the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI by collecting, declassifying, and sharing vital information to enable agencies' efforts into election security. Uh, quote, we look at adversaries meddling in the election on two different fronts. One is a, a covert influence 
And then there is interference. For interference, what we're talking about is adversary trying to go change a vote total targeting election infrastructure voter rolls. The nation expects us to do something about this, enabling our partners with the right information at the right classification level that they need to combat this and defend our our democracy. So it's important to remember that that while they support their partners and federal agencies, the DHS and the FBI, the military also has a pulse on how many in those agencies have been corrupted. Knowing that is key. Remember that uh, uh, Dong that I talked about brought, brought with him terabytes of data, which included information on who was working for the CCP within our government and federal agencies. The military would know uh, who they can share information with and whether they can share information at all. I suspect they didn't share much information with corrupt agencies. Specific details about actual interference in our election would be highly classified. Hence, the at the right classification level comment I just read. So as election security continues to be an enduring mission of the DOD, national security officials stress the importance of allowing Americans to exercise their right to vote. A vote cast is a vote counted. So on August 8, 2020, for the 2020 election, the threat is bigger than Russia, U.S. Department of Defense, Defense Department News. Quote, we're looking at the spectrum of all of our adversaries, Russia, China, Iran, and ransomware actors, said David. Uh, the election security uh, lead with the National Security Agency during a panel discussion on Friday, August 8th, 20th. December 9th, 2020, the Director of National Intelligence, John Ratcliffe, announces Space Force will become the 18th member of the U.S. intelligence community. Uh, community. Remember, this is just three days prior to Ratcliffe joining President Trump when they went to what? Remember, they went to that Army and Navy football game. If you remember from Devolution, what I just spoke about on the last episode, the Army-Navy football game on December 12th is when I theorized that the DNI, Ratcliffe presented uh, President Trump with the evidence of foreign interference. Now, I know everybody's been saying, I've heard it all over the place, that Space Force is the key to capturing the election theft. Me, personally, after the research I've done, I think they served more as a complementary role to what Cybercom was actually doing. Uh, there's no strategic level cyber capability without space. Creating Space Force was necessary to give Cybercom and the NSA the maximum capabilities required to defend our election infrastructure. As usual, Trump and or the military were forward-thinking as early as 2018 when they started the process to create Space Force. So let me go over this real quick. I know this episode's running kind of lengthy, uh, but I, I just I don't want to just leave you guys hanging. So, so considering the information that I just spoke about, 
there's a very clear picture that emerges if you put this together. One can easily see that the military, through Cybercom and the NSA, who are both headed up by the same general, was well positioned and highly prepared to address any foreign interference in our election. There should be little doubt that if China did interfere in our November 3rd, 2020 election, as many people, including Trump, have hinted at, the military caught them doing it. The only question that remains is what they did. What did they do with that information? So, and I don't want to sound obvious, but here's what they did. They either ignored it, in which case we are done. It's over. It is. Or they acted upon it. And I've already went over how the very command structure of the COCOMs allows for military action to be implemented entirely outside the purview of Congress, bureaucratic think tanks, and the corrupt media, indicating covert actions is not only possible, it's highly probable, especially during a war in which our foreign adversaries have infiltrated every level of our government. The general... Um, said himself that a cyber attack from another government on the U.S. critical infrastructure would cross the threshold into war. And our election systems are in the category now of critical infrastructure. We are at a critical moment in our country's history, and its very survival hangs in our balance. The Arizona Forensic Audit Report is to be released in the coming weeks. And once the audit exposes that the election was stolen from Trump, we will be facing a constitutional crisis. A crisis that I believe that's already been met and defeated by Trump in the military. As the Biden regime continues to crumble under the weight of utter incompetence and obvious fraud that put him in the office, Trump is coming back stronger than ever. And I do believe that the entire world is waiting for his return. All right, folks, I'm going to end it right there. Always remember, if you have any questions, any comments, any concerns, you can always email me, or if you want to be a guest on the show, at olkentucky99 at yahoo.com. Kentucky, the number is 99 at yahoo.com. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. And uh, as always, God bless. And God bless America. Hey.